like the joy of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It is joy unspeakable. Amen. And full of glory. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. It's good to have everybody with us. I appreciate your response to the moving of God's Spirit. I, uh, I like being apostolic. Amen. I like being Pentecostal. Amen. They ask us, why do we get so excited in church? Why do we dance? Why do we shout? Well, it's pretty easy. As we're singing these songs today, I'm just like, I was once lost, but now I'm found. (laughs) And I was lost in sin, but God's freed me from that life. (laughs) Amen. That's something to get excited over. I was on my way to a devil's hell. Amen. And today I have hope of glory in him to that's something to get excited about amen god is so good god is so good today we're going to turn our attention to the book of acts acts chapter 2 i want to start in verse 13 and this was right after um The 120 had received the Holy Ghost in the upper room. Um, The Spirit of God moved, and they all began to speak with other tongues. We read that in the beginning of Acts chapter 2. So this was the first outpouring of the gift of the Holy Ghost in the New Testament. And uh, we pick up in verse 13. It says, Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. So they literally thought they were drunk. And sometimes you walk into a a Pentecostal church service for the first time, you may think exactly what they thought that day. It says, these men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, he lifted up his voice and he said unto them, ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. It says, for these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. Verse 16, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. 
and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass, verse 21, that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Today I just want to preach and and maybe teach on calling on the name of the Lord. Calling on the name of the Lord. Amen. I'm thankful this morning that we can call on the name of the Lord. I'm thankful that through the gospel message, we've called upon the name of the Lord. But today I want to give us a, a very clear understanding of exactly what Peter meant when he said that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Can we pray one last time? Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for this opportunity, God, to be together in this place today. God, we pray that your spirit would move. God, that it would continue to move. God, that we would hear the word of the Lord today. God, that we would receive it. God, that we would understand it. God, I pray that today, God, that there would be hearts touched in this place. God, I believe that there's people here today, God, that need something from you, God. And you are the one who gives. You are the one who makes a way, God. You are the one who heals and delivers, God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You may be seated today in Jesus' name. So we're going to um, take this scripture and we're, the best way to understand a scripture and to interpret a scripture is to use other scriptures to help you understand. So we're going to go through some, at first, some improper ideas of what calling on the name of the Lord means. We live in a world today, and I, I do hear this um, probably every week, I'm um, just talking to people, and the world has an idea of um, that everyone gets different things out of the Bible, and everybody, and you can sort of interpret it your way, and I'll interpret it my way, and uh, we'll sort of just be good to go. That we all get, we all have a different idea of what God meant. And I hear this all the time, but if we, if we adhere to that idea, to this idea that you can interpret it your way and I'll interpret it my way, um, it really makes the Bible meaningless. Um, there's not any meaning left. And if it's just left up for private interpretation, um, it, it loses its meaning. And that's why Peter said, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he plainly said that this is not the case. In 2 Peter 1 and 20, he says, knowing this first, he said that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. So the only reliable commentary on scripture is another scripture, okay? So in, in far too many instances, someone has interpreted scripture in a certain way, and it has become an accepted interpretation. And then we do that rather than studying it out for ourselves. 
And that is the reason that the Bible warns us against the traditions of men. Mark 7 and verse 13 says, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, through your private interpretation. You've made, you've made the word of God of none effect, which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. So we will not be, at the end of this, we will not be judged by tradition. And we will not be judged by different interpretations and commentaries, but we will be judged by the word of God. We will not be judged by our personal private interpretation, but we will be judged by the word of God. In John chapter 12 and verse 48 says, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Amen, that's why we believe in the word of God. That's why we encourage everybody to read the word for themselves, to, to study, to show yourself approved unto God, to know the word of God and to hide it in your heart. And we see in the book of Revelations, Revelations 20 and, and verse 11 and 12, it says, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat upon it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled, fled away. And there was found no place for them and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So notice that not only was the book of life opened, but the books were opened and men's works were judged according to the books. Not the book of life, but the books. So in light of what Jesus said here, the word that I have spoken, the, the same shall judge him. We have to conclude today that the books mentioned in Revelations are the books of the Bible. 66 books of the Bible. So at the end of all this, we're going to um, be judged and our life has, is going to be compared to how we lined up with this instruction book, with how our life compares to what's said in here. And we understand that this is the, the basic instruction book before leaving earth. That's what Bible stands for, right? So we've got to read it and understand it to, and make sure our lives line up with it. And I just taught several weeks ago on the word of God and the word of God is really able um, to, it's like looking into a mirror. We look into the word of God and we're able to really see ourselves as we truly are. And, uh, you know, the scripture warns against just taking a quick glance. Like in the morning, you take a quick glance in the mirror and, and you look quick and you just run off to work and you forgot a spot shaving and your hair's still sticking up and you're not quite right. But we ought to take some time and to look into that mirror, to look into the perfect law of liberty, the word of God. And we'll begin to really see ourselves as we are because it's a discerner. Right? The, the sword of the spirit is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So there, there's some improper ideas out there of 
what it means to call upon the name of the Lord. So obviously we must depend solely upon what the word of God says about this because the word of God is absolute truth. Amen. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. In fact, uh, Paul admonishes us to consider everyone except God a liar. He said in Romans 3, 4, says, God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. So if we're going to understand a passage of scripture, we must use other scriptures to gain our complete understanding and not just tradition, not just a, a private interpretation, but to completely understand the text, we look further into the word of God. Acts 2.21, we're gonna read this again. It says, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if we truly want to understand this verse, we have to forget our traditions, ignore the commentaries, and look into a scripture. So if whosoever calls on the name of the Lord is saved, we, have to, we want to understand what it means to call on the name of the Lord. At least I do. If, if this is what I got to do to be saved, if this is what I got to do to be right with God, I want to completely understand what it means to call upon the name of the Lord. So we're going to start out with what it is not, what it does not mean. So much of the, the church world today um, instructs us to pray a sinner's prayer and that we accept Jesus as our, our personal savior and in that prayer we call upon the name of the Lord. And I, I believe that this is a good start. I believe that saying a prayer, asking God to be your savior and calling on his name is a good start. But it's not what the Bible teaches. In Matthew 7 and verse 21 it says, not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. So just because we call upon God doesn't mean he's our Lord. That's what Jesus said. And this is really what, um, you know, the, the commandment of, of not taking the Lord by God's name in vain is talking about. It's not necessarily talking about using the name of God as a curse word, which I believe that's wrong too, but it's talking about using it in vain that you would say you believe in Jesus and you would say that he's your Lord, but your life shows otherwise. That's really what the ten, one of the Ten Commandments is talking about, about taking his name in vain, that they would call unto him and say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus said, just because you call me Lord, just because you call upon me doesn't mean that I'm actually your God. But he says, he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. So according to Jesus himself, not everyone who simply cries out to him or prays a simple prayer will actually be saved. Again, this is a good start. This is, this is where it begins. So obviously repeating a sinner's prayer is not going to be sufficient. 
Here Jesus tells us that while not everyone who cries out to him will be saved, but everyone who does the will of the Father will be saved. It is incumbent upon us that to find, to, for us to find out what the will of the Father is in regard to our salvation. And the truth of it is, I want nothing more in my life than to be saved. <laughs> and the Bible says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's nothing I want more than to, to see Jesus face to face and for my family to come with me. So I want, to re, I want to know what I got to do. I want to know the will of the Father in regard to salvation. So the Apostle Peter gave us some insight about um, God's will concerning salvation. In 2 Peter 3 and 9, he says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he is long-suffering to usward. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. So there are, are, are two very important factors we discover in this verse. One, God's will is that none would be lost. That's the will of God. He wants everyone to be saved. When he died upon that cross for mankind, he was thinking of everybody. So it's his will that none would be saved. And it's God's, number two, it's God's will that everyone would repent. So calling on the name of the Lord must include repentance. It must include repentance. If praying the sinner's prayer would keep men from perishing, then Peter would have said it, it was God's will that all should pray the sinner's prayer. But instead he said it, it was God's will that all should come to repentance. And repentance involves a number of things. And you could, I could teach a whole lesson on repentance, but it involves godly sorrow for the sins that we've committed. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7 and 10 says, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. It involves being truly sorry for your sin and truly desiring God to help you. So it involves godly sorrow. It also involves confessing and forsaking sin. Proverbs 28 and 13 says, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but he, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And this is not necessarily confessing to a man, although I believe there's maybe a time and a place for that where you need accountability in your life, but it's confessing your sins to God. Saying, God, I've sinned, I've fallen short, I've messed up, I'm sorry, God, I need your help. I want to turn in the right direction. I want to live in a way that is pleasing to you. That's repentance. It also means to, to forsake sin. You must literally turn away from sin. If we are going to, to scripturally call on the name of the Lord, our lifestyle has to change. It has to, 
go from a life of sin and, and turn, you turn from that and you walk in the direction of life. There's some things that you used to do that you don't do no more. There's some things that you used to say that you don't say no more. Amen. There's some, some thought processes and default settings ingrained in you that you are forsaking now and you're walking a new direction. And the world's form of Christianity is they want to profess to know Christ but continue to live in sin. They want to continue to do the things that they've always done. They don't want to change. But repentance and calling on that name involves a lifestyle change. Amen. Jesus asked the disciples, he's like, have you counted the costs? Like there's going to be some things that you're going to have to leave behind and let go of if you're going to follow me. Luke 6 and 46, he says, and why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? And this is exactly what he was talking about in Matthew 7. He says, why do you call me your God if you don't listen to my commandments? We must obey Jesus. Obe- obedient faith. Obedient belief. That's, that's saving faith. When you're willing to obey the word of God, you are in the process of calling on his name. 2 Timothy 2 and 19 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. He's saying, if you call me Lord, if you name me as your God, you need to depart from sin. Depart from iniquity. Iniquity is just simply lawlessness. It's the old way of living. He says, if you call me Lord, you will depart from iniquity. And God is not willing that any should perish, and he wants all of us to come to repentance. The Bible says very, very straightly in Luke 13, 3, it says, I tell you nay, but except you repent, unless you forsake sin, unless you uh, uh, turn your back on your old way of living, he said, ye shall all likewise perish. So it is absolutely crucial that we come to a true point of repentance in our life. And we say, God, I want you, and I'm willing to forsake these old things. Thus, the first thing we learn about calling on the name of the Lord is that it involves repentance. It involves a turning to God. And I'm thankful today, amen, that we have the opportunity today to repent. Amen. If, you, if you're here today, you have one of the greatest opportunities, and that's to turn to God. And he's through his grace and his mercy. And it doesn't matter how far you are into sin today. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad you've messed up. You can repent. Amen. He's granted that, that to us today through his goodness and his mercy, the opportunity to turn to him. Amen. I'm thankful that he gave us that access 
to turn to him today. The Apostle Paul gave us uh, some further insight into what calling on the name of the Lord involves when he gave his personal testimony in Acts chapter 22. In Acts 22 and 12, he says, And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. This he was talking about the road to Damascus when God smote him. He's telling this story. He says, And at the same time hour I looked up upon him, and he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will and see the just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. In verse 16, he says, And now why tarriest thou? This was Ananias talking to Paul. He says, And now why? He said, God has positioned you. Amen. He's, he's spoken to you. He says, And now why tarriest thou? He says, Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Paul said that this process of having his sins washed away, this process of conversion, um, his sins washed away through baptism was a part of calling on the name of the Lord. Remember that we must obey the Lord's commands in order to truly call on his name. Consider the fact that one of his commands was that we were to be baptized. We see this all through scripture. Mark 16 and 16 says it plainly. He says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Jesus further said that we believe on him through the words of his apostles. So in John 17, 20 says, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. And one of the things that his apostles commanded was baptism in Jesus' name. We read that through the book of Acts. And Paul just told his testimony about how Ananias says, hey, don't tarry any longer. You need to be baptized, washing away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So we read through what the apostles taught After the Gospels, after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, we read the book of Acts, the start of the the New Testament church. We read in Acts 10 how Peter went to Cornelius' house. to It was a Gentile house to preach to them the good news. And in verse 46, so Peter was preaching. And it said that the Holy Ghost fell on all them while Peter was preaching. Today, if the Holy Ghost falls on you while I'm preaching, I'll have no problem with that. We'll have an altar call right now. Okay? I've seen it done. I've seen it happen. But while Peter was preaching the gospel, the Holy Ghost fell on all them. And in verse 46, it says, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. That's how they knew that they had received the Holy Ghost and then answered Peter. So right after they received the Holy Ghost, this was the first time they had truly heard the gospel message. This was their first sermon they had ever heard. And they received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And Peter said, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? Peter was talking about, he was going back to Acts 2 when they received the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. He said, we, we Jews received the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, but now this Gentile home has received the Holy Ghost just like it happened to us at the beginning. He says, can we forbid water that these should not be baptized also? 
In verse 48, this always kind of got me. It says, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain dates. It says, you guys have received the Holy Ghost. You need to be baptized right now in the name of Jesus Christ. So if you've never been baptized before, in Jesus' name, by immersion, just like they did in the Bible, today is your day. You can have all your sins washed away, calling on the name of the Lord. So to, to discover what else is involved in calling on the name of the Lord, we, we look at the Old Testament, a couple of different prophets, uh, starting with Zechariah. Zechariah 13 and 9 says, And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as God is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them and I will say it is my people and they shall say the Lord is my God. We're not going to get into the full interpretation of this scripture, but there's a, a principle that I want to point out is that fire is a refining agent. And God intends for his people to be refined by fire. Just as a a jeweler, if you will, would take a blowtorch and refine gold or silver with fire. God uses the fire of the Holy Ghost to purify his followers. God uses the fire of the Holy Ghost to purify his followers. In Matthew 3, 11, it says, Jesus said, I indeed baptize, or this is John the Baptist, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me, speaking of Jesus, is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will truly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So part of the process of calling on the name of the Lord involves receiving the Spirit of God. Amen. And I'm thankful for the Spirit of God that leads and guides and teaches us today. So this would all be a part of true belief in Christ. John 7 and 38 says, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, said, Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. John said, or he, or Jesus said, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, okay, not according to our private interpretation, But as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And we'll read the next verse. He said, but this spake he of the spirit. He was talking about the Holy Ghost, which they that should believe on him should receive. It says, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus Um, This was before the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. See, Jesus had not been glorified. The Holy Ghost was then after it was poured out on the day of Pentecost after his glorification. But he says, he that believeth on him, as the scriptures had said, he would receive the spirit of God. Amen. It It would be like rivers of living water. Amen. I remember the first time I received the Holy Ghost. It was like rivers 
of living water. It was like something I had never experienced before. It was a supernatural experience. Amen. So we need to repent. Amen. To call, repentance is part of calling upon the name of the Lord. Baptism, washing away our sins is part of calling upon the name of the Lord. Receiving the spirit of God is part of calling on the name of the Lord. There's one final thing that we point out about calling upon the name of the Lord according to a scriptural definition. Again, we turn to the Old Testament. Zephaniah 3 and 9 says, For then will I turn to the people a pure language, that they may call upon the name of the Lord, to serve him with one consent. So, This was a prophecy of things to come. This was a a prophetic word given by Zephaniah about the, the, the pouring out of the Spirit of God. So we ask ourselves today, is there a language amongst us that is pure? Is there a language on earth that has no profanity? Is there a language on earth that has never been used to tell a lie? Is there a language today that has no words to describe the evil deeds of men? And the answer is is no. The corrupt tongue of men has fallen short. It uh, it It is not pure. So how do we call upon the name of the Lord with a pure language? When a person repents of his sins and is baptized in Jesus' name and your sins are washed away, God sends the Holy Ghost fire for purification. And notice what happens when the Holy Ghost falls. Acts 2.4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. With the baptism of the Spirit comes a new language, which is foreign to the new believer. He does not know what the words mean, and he has no idea what he is saying. Therefore, he cannot corrupt the language. While speaking in tongues, a person does not know how to curse, lie, or describe wickedness. But the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, gives the utterances. And when God is speaking through a person, you can rest assured that the language is pure. So again, in Zephaniah 3, 9, for then I will turn to the, I will turn to the people a pure language that they may call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. The pure language is given for the purpose that the people may call upon the name of the Lord. Amen. It's the gift of the Holy Ghost. So so we compare this text to our original text in Acts 2.21, and shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So you have to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. And it involves repentance. It involves a forsaking of sin. 
It involves a death and a burial, a burial of the washing away of your sins. And it involves you receiving the spirit of God with a pure language, which is the evidence of speaking in tongues. So we look at this and and as we go through scripture, it really all harmonizes together. One of the most popular chapters in in the Bible is John chapter three. And uh, I I was kind of raised just to go right to verse 16. Growing up, I used to write John 3.16 on my hockey sticks. I thought it was good luck. But I never read the beginning of the chapter. And we go to John chapter 3. And a man named Nicodemus, he came to Jesus by night. And he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that comes from God. For no man can do these miracles that you do. And Nicodemus didn't want to be seen with him. And Jesus just kind of interrupts him in verse three. He says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus was sort of confused on how, you know, he was to be born again. Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb? And, and uh, Jesus answered again in verse five, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of the water, and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So if we, if we know that we got to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, and Jesus is telling us here that we got to be born of the water and of the spirit to, to be saved, then there has to be a correlation of these two things. And that's exactly what we just explained, repentance and baptism. And Jesus says an interesting thing. In verse 7 and 8, he says, Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. And in verse 8, he says, the wind bloweth where it listeth. He says, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but you cannot tell when it comes and when it goes. And he says, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. He said, being, receiving the Holy Ghost can be likened to the wind. You can't tell when it's going to come and when it's gonna go. You cannot control the wind. You cannot see the wind. We cannot see the Spirit of God. We cannot control the Spirit of God. But when the Spirit of God manifests itself, we see the evidence of it, okay? And he said there will be a sound thereof. And that sound is, is translated to phone, or there's going to be a language that comes when you receive the Holy Ghost, a pure language. So then we go to Acts 2, and they received the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost for the very first time. What happened? It said that there was a mighty rushing wind. Amen. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. Okay. And they, be, they, they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak with another tongue. There was a language. There was an evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost. As you read through scripture, there was always, it doesn't always completely name it in every instance, but there was an evidence and the, the, the apostles realized that they had received it. And if you continue reading Acts 2, it says that they seen and they heard the Spirit of God. They knew that they had received it because they seen it and they heard it. 
So this is all part of calling upon the name of the Lord. Amen. And we, we, we look at calling upon the name of the Lord as invoking the name, crying unto God in prayer. And I certainly believe that. Interesting enough, if you, if you look at what calling upon means, it actually means to surname. It actually means to take on the name. So how do we take on the name of the Lord? It's through the born again experience. Amen, because that's when we take on the family name. That's when, we, when we, where we die out and are buried to the old family of the world, okay? And now we are, we are born into a new family, amen? When my bride took on, when she married me, she took on my name, okay? And when we are born into the family of God, we take on the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you today, that if you have not completely followed the steps of calling on the name of the Lord, it's available for you today. And it's life-changing. Amen? Let's all stand in this place. If you need to come to an altar today and pray a prayer of repentance, you don't need to be ashamed. You don't need to feel like people are looking at you but we uh, will pray with you. If you today you want to make a step towards God and, and truly come to a point of repentance and you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, the waters of the baptismal tank are, are ready. It's warm and ready. As a matter of fact, we have a little man that's gonna be baptized today. I asked him, amen. I asked him why he wanted to be baptized. He's like, I want my sins washed away. I want to be born again, and I want to go to heaven. And I'm like, that's a perfect answer. That's a scriptural answer. Amen. So that's going to happen today. If anybody else wants to go do that, it's available to today. If you've never received the Holy Ghost, if you've never received the Spirit of God, God wants to fill you with his Spirit today. This gospel message is for you today, and I just pray that you would call upon the name of the Lord. Amen. The altars are open. If you would come and pray, I believe that God wants to do something supernatural in this place, that he desires to change lives. He desires to fill you with his spirit today. He desires to wash all sins away, to give you a new life. Amen. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you today. God, I pray, Lord, over every man, woman, and child in this place. God, that we would live out this gospel message in our lives. God, that we would take a step of faith today. God, if there's some things that have been rising up in our lives, God, that we would just call upon the name today. God, that you would be faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Altars where you meet us.